should have considered it more in the context of the special editions and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, mainly, like, I just kept thinking about it in terms of how much of a quantum leap forward it was from, like, anything anybody had saw, seen on screen, like, beforehand. Sure. You know? And, I mean, my impulse, if I'm George, is to go make another better movie rather than keep, you know, fucking with my current one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he uh, he just couldn't let it go, I guess. But anyway, um, we'll, we'll get into that as we go. Um, welcome back, everybody, to Refried Reviews, um, the podcast that watches movies a second time so you don't have to. I'm John. I'm JP. And uh, what are we doing today, man? Uh, so you decided that we would bring the original Star Wars A New Hope to the table? Yeah, that was this, my idea. This has to be an internet first, right? Yeah, Talking no, about no. This? <laughs> no one's ever talked about Star Wars before. <laughs> Little independent Jim from 1977. <laughs> you know, it technically was an independent film, too. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, the prequels were independent practically. Like, yeah. wasn't it pretty much Fox had pre-distribution rights, but didn't he pay for them? I think he might have, yeah. I mean, he pre-sold them, but like... He had more money than God and Jesus combined at that point. So, like, he just reached into his back pocket and was like, <laughs> this will pay for some green screens and some weird CGI slug guys, right? I didn't know until the Disney sale that he was the sole owner of he, the... He was? Yeah. He made $4 billion that day as a personal transaction. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. That's insane. Yeah. He could, like, buy Ecuador. And keep in mind that... He could buy Tunisia and turn it into Tatooine. <laughs> Fuck upgrading Tomorrowland. Yeah, dude. <laughs> oh, my God. That sounds exciting. And, I mean, I, I'm not quite sure what he did with it. I think he donated a good chunk of it to charity. But um, also keep in mind that L- was... Leaving two... himself only $2 billion. <laughs> but $2 billion of that was in Disney stock, which just received Marvel and Star Wars. Oh, my so God. So you have to imagine it's an even better investment that way. Oh, God. He could... He could definitely buy himself a Gundam at this point. <laughs> like I was actually reading recently, there's a uh, firm in Japan that for like $1.5 million will buy, will build you a pilotable mech. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, no, he could buy a mech. Like He could totally just walk around Skywalker Ranch in like an avatar mech um and like you know just line up a whole bunch of like he dude he could buy people uh he could buy people yeah that's the end of the sentence (laughs) he could totally buy a bunch of people Mm -hmm. he could buy me (laughs) yeah well there's no argument there yeah (laughs) i'm not that expensive you know i'm I'm a bargain basement person to buy (laughs) um damn uh yeah so i uh i don't know about you but like I know we usually start these conversations by saying like, hey, when did you first like see the movie? I don't remember. I just always had Star Wars around. I do have a memory of a, I, I was thinking about this as I was watching it, of my, my parents calling me over when it was on TV when I was very young. Yeah. Like how, like three or four? Probably not that young. I'm thinking more like six or seven. Mm-hmm. I do remember it was at the age where I think it was just burgeoning where my parents recommended something to me. Yeah. And the reaction had turned to like, well, how fucking good could this be? <laughs> like, it, it definitely, it, it wasn't, this is going to be amazing because my parents know everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So whatever age that would be. <laughs> what do these two assholes want? It's <laughs> better not be the damn sound of music again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that so, was a swing and a miss, pop. <laughs> yeah. So I, and I remember that was sort of my first exposure to it. And I imagine much like in 1977, like, like wait what is this as the giant ship emerged and all that stuff yeah dude so. that first shot with that <laughs> giant ass ship is just the coolest like 
everything about the beginning. So uh, I guess we should we should get out in front of the fact that we both watched the original cut um, through various means that we won't go into. <laughs> we did not watch the special editions because we wanted to kind of experience the movie the way we experienced when we were kids. Because I guess we we kind of are the last generation that like kind of grew up with the original cuts of the movies. Like I remember in 1997 when for the 30th anniversary the special editions started coming out. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of exciting. We were like, Star Wars is going to come back to theaters, you guys. <laughs> and they're going to add stuff. Stuff. More stuff. Yeah, Woo! yeah, exactly. Like, that was totally the reaction. No one was like, "Why is he fucking with the movies?" Like, it was like, "This is gonna be awesome." You see that ring on the Death Star explosion? Oh, oh shit! Yeah, no, it is a pretty cool looking ring, honestly. Yeah. Like, especially like compared to the original Death Star explosion. Like that mm-hmm. original Death Star explosion really impressed me until I saw the new one. Sure, and I was like, "Okay, this, yeah, guys, this is cooler looking." Like, sorry. Um, Seeing it as an adult, I still couldn't help but think like, "That's millions of corpses." yeah like. dude yeah no we all saw clerks we know <laughs> <laughs> it just it never really occurred to me that if you have you know a sphere like that's a lot of people it's, to populate that thing yeah i started thinking about like the physics of the death star itself because like <laughs> i mean they do a really good job of selling the scale of the death star like mm-hmm. it's fucking and you don't you don't need i mean it definitely helps for obi-wan kenobi to be like that's no moon it's a space station <laughs> like that's a holy fuck line if ever i heard one yeah and then like as the millennium falcon approaches it it just gets bigger and bigger and then you see <laughs> it like going into like this thing that was just a line on the side of the and you're like holy fuck this thing so it's i started thinking about the fact that the death star probably has like personal gravity you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like, it seems like it would be the right scale for it, and everything looks pretty metal. Yeah, like, it. so how do they manage that? Like, are there, like, like, how is the gravity oriented on the Death Star? We don't need to think about this too hard, but, like, it led to the fact that I was going, like, when they get go into orbit around Yavin, or around Yavin and, you know, trying to get to one of the moons, like, that must play havoc with a planet for a moon to just move on in. Yeah, I mean, I guess the way gravity works... Wouldn't the floors, wouldn't you be standing, like, the way that our feet are on the ground? Yeah, they like, probably, like, wouldn't looking in around the core. Yeah, like, looking into space would be reserved for the top level looking out the skylight. Yeah, I'm guessing. Like, huh. especially considering we know that in this universe they can manipulate gravity to a pretty fine degree because of the way the gunner pods work on the Millennium Falcon. Right. You know, so they've got a pretty nice degree of control over that. So yeah, they can probably like, just do whatever they damn well please. But fucking, who cares? <laughs> like, really, at the end of the day. Like, it's fun to think about, but I was just going wee. Like, I, I actually stopped taking notes on this one, like, halfway through. It oh, was really? just like, I'm just having... <laughs> my second to last note is as soon as they get the princess, it gets really fun. Um, that was a big takeaway for me I guess we can play a little bit light with the whole like summarizing the plot because guys it's fucking Star Wars yeah you've seen Star Wars Um, (laughs) I guess on the on the physics note one thing that I was thinking about as I watched it is is it ever really made clear that space is a vacuum in any of the Star Wars movies like, I, I think we just kind of take that for granted. I mean, I guess. I mean, other than I, the fact that there's fucking whiz-bang laser noises in space. I just feel like I never really see an airlock or, uh, you know, mm. things flying out where the explosion was. Force, force fields, bro. Force yeah, fields. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's how they hand wave that. And don't they get out of the Millennium Falcon? Like when they're on an asteroid or something. In the second do they one, have breathers? They, they are wearing breathers. Oh, okay. And they're also inside of a giant spacefaring worm. So who the hell knows what's going on in there? <laughs> it must be atmosphere in its Yeah, stomach. like it's got Minox inside of it. So like, what are they breathing, you know? Maybe they live inside of... I don't know. Man. All right, I'm, I'm calming down. Let's move yeah, on. <laughs> giant space worm. Um, 
Yeah, so you asked me a really interesting question before we started, um, which was, uh, like, I think I mentioned before, um, I make movies for a living. Um, I produced one. I just directed a second one over the holidays. And uh, what, what, what was your question again? Just sort of having a lot more experience with the, not just the production side, but the creative side yeah. of having a vision you're trying to express. Did that make you feel any differently sort of about what George Lucas's approach has been because as much as the movie to us is this thing that we saw as kids that was amazing that always worked maybe to him it really is like he sees the outdoor scenes on Tatooine and he's like Jesus look how sparse this is yeah. like compared to the um now, you know which when they're in the cantina are you specific- and stuff. specifically are you talking about the outdoor the exterior Mos Eisley stuff where there's just like think, eight dudes walking around. I think that's that's what occurred to me as one of the bigger changes with the special edition in terms of what probably bothered him. Yeah. Because it really does look pretty barren in the original cut compared to Dewback Lizards and shit. Yeah, the there background. is that. Like the only part where that bugged me was there were definitely like when they when Obi-Wan and Luke and the droids get out of the speeder and they're about to go into the cantina, mm-hmm. there's a shot where you see like Moss Eisley behind them and they've got like a dozen extras just sort of crossing a little bit haphazard. Hazardly. Mm-hmm. Like they're all just walking and like sorry, a better AD would have given them like more specific direction, would have like paired some of them up and had them like talking about something mm-hmm. and like had a couple like maybe standing around with a third in an argument with them and like tried to tell a couple of little stories and I think that would have helped a lot. Sure. But instead in this shot, and I think you know the one I'm talking about, it's just a bunch of people walking straight ahead in a line. <laughs> like they're all just crossing. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of calls attention to the artifice of the moment, especially considering that like all the walls behind them are completely blank mm-hmm. and they just look like these brown pueblos. And it is a really boring looking shot. I think some of that also has to do with something that w- goes on throughout the movie that I noticed this time is like George Lucas is fucking garbage at placing the camera. Mm-hmm. Like he's a, an amazing production designer. And he the he's clearly in love with his sets because you get a big ass wide every time. Like like <laughs> as soon as like Luke and Obi Wan and Chewbacca and the droids are hanging out in like the lounge on the Falcon, you get a nice big wide of that lounge. And it's like look how cool this is. And I'm like, yeah, George, it is really cool looking. I mean, like, there are a lot of nice sets. Yeah, I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind those wides. But I think he could have done himself some favors if he was better at placing the camera, which is weird because the DP on this thing, whose name escapes me, was mm-hmm. also the DP on The Omen and uh, Dr. Strangelove. Hmm. Like, so the guy knows where to put the camera. So I'm thinking it might have been George. Um, yeah, I mean, that could be it. Um, I mean, I don't want to presume. I wasn't on set, but... I, I mean, I'll, yeah, also, I, I have no idea either, obviously, but maybe the DP was, yeah. if he was heavily involved with any of that special effects stuff, yeah. maybe that occupied most of his time. I mean, did you notice that, too, that like it was just sort of rote in terms of the shot composition? Um, I mean, it it certainly felt more primitive, where there aren't a lot of like sweeping action shots or anything yeah. like that. Um, this was pre-steady cam, so... Right, right. Yeah, I mean... I wouldn't go so far as to say like it felt clumsy or anything like that to me, but it it, it didn't stick out it as felt like serviceable. Mm-hmm. Like it never, it, it always did its job. But like he could have. What I'm trying to say is he could have mitigated some of that like sparseness that you're talking about mm-hmm. if he was better at placing the camera. Right, and um, I, I I see what you mean, and I, I guess another part of my question is just the idea of. Even though it totally makes sense watching it, and we always accept it as kids, as mm-hmm. like, okay, this is where the humans are on this planet. Like, yeah. it probably makes sense. They would clear it out of big monsters and stuff. And yeah. it, it totally works. 
but as the person whose original vision it was, is it the equivalent of like, fuck, we filmed this behind my apartment, like when we yeah. had no time, and it'll never not be that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I see so, what you're saying. Like, how how do you how do I creatively square myself with the impulse to go back and like you know mess around with it and everything? Yeah, and I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to to grill you into admitting that changes were a good thing or something like that. Yeah, I just, no, I I just wonder if it if it's is it a lot more understandable? Sort I think of after having done I, creative work. I get it. I mean, I'm I'm editing a short right now that I like and I think is going to do the work that I need it to do. Um, and I'm proud of it and I'm, I'm excited to submit it to festivals. Mm-hmm. But it's not everything. Like there are specific things in it that didn't turn out the way I wanted them to turn out. Mm-hmm. And that's just never going to change. I mean, there's things I can do in post to help them get there. And that's what post-production is for, mm-hmm. partly. Um, but I think it comes down to sort of how one views one's films um, and sort of whether one wants to make each movie the end-all, be-all, best movie in the universe or one just wants to keep making movies. Mm-hmm. And I personally am very much the second kind of guy. Like, right. I, I, if I make something that's pretty good, um, I'm by the time I'm finished with it, I'm ready to go on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really have the patience to go back and tinker with it. Like, you know, we, we could get, you know, a whole bunch of money and tinker with Stackton if that, for some reason, made financial sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't really want to do that because I'd rather spend that creative energy making a new thing. Sure. Um, you know, I, you know, it's, I, I'm fixated on my next thing. I mm-hmm. guess. And, you know, it, it, the fact that George Lucas is so fixated on making these three movies the best movies they can possibly be as he sees it, um, especially when you consider the fact that he so rarely makes a new film, <laughs> um, makes me feel like he doesn't have a huge amount of confidence in himself to come up with new ideas. I see. Um, I mean, and he has come up with new ideas. Like, he, he did Red Tails um, mm-hmm. to varying degrees of success. <laughs> and I haven't seen Red Tails. I shouldn't shit on it. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what it comes down to. It's like, you know, have have new ideas. Move forward. Mm-hmm. Like, if you see things that you don't like about your last movie, like, you know what? You made Star Wars. It was a really big financial success. <laughs> Go make another better thing. Yeah. And take the lessons you learned and move on. Um, that said... If you have, if if I had access to practically unlimited resources mm-hmm. to touch up one of my movies and you know keep uh, keep tinkering with it, I can't guarantee I wouldn't do that. I mean, part of my philosophy is an outgrowth of the way I have to, you know, is an outgrowth of just the financial limitations of the way I have to make things. Mm-hmm. Um, it just makes more sense, given resource limitations, to go spend those resources making a new thing. Um, I wish I could remember where I heard it. I think it must have been on Mark Maron's podcast or something. Yeah. But I recently heard someone make the point of there are way too many variables at play to ever reliably predict whether something will turn out like a great movie or a decent movie or a bad movie or whatever. Oh, yeah. So that like if you want a, a career with as many great movies as possible, like you shouldn't look for the perfect one. You should just keep doing it. Because oh, like, absolutely. it's just a statistics game and you'll also get practice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I think the number one thing you can do to be a good filmmaker is just keep making movies. Mm-hmm. Because like, you know, John Carpenter is my favorite filmmaker. Dark Star's a Dark Star sucks. Uh-huh. You know, like <laughs> but then he followed up Dark Star with Halloween. Like the thing about making movies is that like we don't get to practice it the way like musicians get to practice guitar. Mm -hmm. Like you can't 
sit in a room and practice movies. You can study and study and study. And then by the time you actually get to make one, like you've marshaled a huge amount of resources. Um, and so you just kind of have to keep doing that and accept that like, yeah, this one was flawed, but you know what? Like it was the first movie I ever tried to make. Mm -hmm. Like, so give yourself a break and be kind and move on. And yeah, you're right. Like it's a huge variable game. Like maybe the schedule didn't work out and you had to, you know, crunch some, you had to combine a bunch of shots to make your day. Maybe, uh, you didn't have quite enough time in editorial and you ran out of money to pay your editor. Maybe, uh, you couldn't afford the 5.1 mix you wanted. Maybe your actor's availability was screwy and you had to move some things around. Like that's part of what makes filmmaking so fun though, is Mm -hmm. that you're having to play jazz with these limitations. You know, you're not like, uh, again, I keep coming back to the example of like a musician or even a painter, you know, a painter can just add more and more paint and like try and get something the way they want it to get and they're limited basically by the amount of space on a canvas and the amount of time they have to sit in a room Mm -hmm. but like i don't think i don't think there's any art form that's as defined by its limitations as filmmaking is um and that's pretty cool um you know and the degree to which it's collaborative like you know maybe the dp sees something a little bit differently um and you know convinces you to do something different from what you wanted to do originally so your vision turns into something else mm-hmm. i'm kind of rambling here um but i uh <laughs> i hope that that kind of gets at the crux of what you're what you're talking about yeah totally i you just know. thought that would be a, an interesting discussion oh, yeah. considering like the movie does you know feel a little bit there are moments where it feels a little bit dated um mm-hmm. there are moments that work amazingly well even to this day um, but there are other moments like, uh, I remember thinking when, uh, the, when Han and Luke and Chewie and the droids, uh, first get their stormtrooper outfits and they go to that one room with all the monitors in it mm-hmm. and they're like figuring out where everything is. And then they go like, you go here, Obi-Wan, we're going to go here. Droids, you stay here. Remember that room? Uh-huh. Um, the monitors behind them, like that console panel looks very seventies console panel. Uh-huh. Like it's just sort of. <laughs> A colored face with a bunch of blinky lights on it that apparently mean a thing. <laughs> yeah, the whole like engine room or whatever. Yeah, has a, a very <laughs> retro future feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not. It doesn't feel fun. I think it stuck out to me because it doesn't feel functional the way a lot of the stuff in the rest of the film feels. Mm-hmm. Like the Millennium Falcon just feels amazing. Like I love it. Like it's so lived in and grimy. And it's one of the things I really like about the movie is that you know. I think in most other science fiction before this, all like the ships we come across are like, this is the Starship Enterprise. It's the flagship of the Federation. This is the best ship. You know, <laughs> this is here in 2001. You know, this is uh, the Discovery. This is the best ship humanity's ever built. And then we get to Star Wars. Like, this is the Millennium Falcon. It's kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> this is kind of where uh, like the Serenity came from. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's totally where Serenity came from. <laughs> Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's cool because like, it's kind of a piece of shit. And then like all throughout that whole like rescue sequence, like we kind of get the feeling that like Han and Luke don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And like in a fun endearing way, because you're, you spend so much time with them, you're rooting for them to succeed, but you also are like, I don't, I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> Where Han gets to be the expert just because he's with a young farm boy that knows nothing. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that, that's one, one of my favorite, that's probably my favorite thing about the movie on this viewing is everything about Han Solo <laughs> um, like he's definitely the coolest thing in the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Like by a lot. Um, I, mean, I have to say, I never cared that much about uh, Greedo shooting first. Like the the whole argument back and forth. I, really? I, I mean, you know, I thought it was stupid that he did it, but it didn't that bother matters me that a much. Huge amount to me. But yeah, watching it this time, it it did occur to me. Greedo is very much like I'm going to look forward to killing you. Like there, there's really no question. <laughs> 
that yeah. it's a life or death situation. Yeah. So the idea that you needed an extra spoonful of sugar to just like he's not bad. Yeah. Like it really it really did feel unnecessary after watching the original again. Yeah. And you know, if like Han Han Solo's whole arc in the film is becoming less of a bastard. Like mm-hmm. that's the whole thing. And like <laughs> by taking that part out, like you you lose a little bit of your starting point. Yeah. You know, like he I don't know if he is the kind of guy at the end of that movie who would have shot first. Mm-hmm. Um I kind of hope so cuz that's badass. <laughs> um but like I that's the kind of guy I want Han Solo to be. I want Han Solo to be the kind of guy who uh reads a situation and goes, "Okay, well like I I need to shoot this guy." Mm-hmm. Um and then walks away and goes like, "Look, I'm still alive and he's dead." And doesn't really question his actions and is is a little bit of a swaggering badass. Yeah. But also not quite as badass as he thinks he is. <laughs> um which is what makes him so fun. Uh-huh. You know, but like the thing I loved about it was how like you're right, he gets to be the expert for like the first, I don't know, two thirds of the movie because he's around this farm boy. And then <laughs> Princess Leia shows up and just blows up his spot. Mm-hmm. Like and it was so much fun to just watch him get put on blast. Like <laughs> Yeah. By a woman and an old man. <laughs> yeah. Like it was so cool. Um and as soon as Han Solo has that force to push against, that is the character of Princess Leia, mm-hmm. the movie got like eight times more entertaining. Like yeah. I was having a good time before that. But, like, as soon as Leia showed up and, like, someone showed up who just wouldn't take Han's shit mm-hmm. and, and Harrison Ford got to really act against that, oh, God, that was great. <laughs> I guess that is where a lot of the chemistry comes in that seems absent largely in the newer movies. Is yeah. that there isn't really a relationship like that. Like, there aren't, there aren't really relationships. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the it, it feels so sterile oh, in the yeah. prequels where it's very much like, a master and a pupil and then he becomes an enemy but like mm-hmm. they, they don't really seem to they're not joking around that much like the, yeah it, it felt very lifeless i guess oh, compared yeah. to the old ones well you've seen the red letter media prequel reviews right uh probably uh it's that guy who did like the 70 minute long oh reviews. yes yeah <laughs> yes and there's that one part in the episode one review where he has like people describe han solo without talking about his job or the ship he flies <laughs> or anything like just talk about his personality uh-huh. and you can go on and on about han solo and then they asked them to do the same thing with qui-gon Jinn. yeah <laughs> it's he, liam neeson <laughs> yeah like they just everybody said he's stoic right <laughs> that's it like that's all you can say about Qui-Gon Jim without talking about how he's a Jedi or he's training somebody you're just like yeah he's he's stoic and by the book mm-hmm. <sighs> <laughs> he's exhausting and so, Liam Neeson's a better actor than that so it's a shame yeah it's true so is Ewan McGregor to be honest yeah no everybody in that I mean even Hayden Christensen's a better actor than that <laughs> yeah he's not a much better actor than that but he's a better actor than that maybe not Jake Lloyd but that's still not entirely his fault yeah poor Jake Lloyd like you know he talks about how those prequels ruined his life now I mean I, I feel like I've read that at some point but it wouldn't yeah. surprise me <laughs> no. anyway that's uh, that's that, that's oh, oh that, well that, that actually ties in to bring it back to Star Wars something I noticed a lot watching this movie is how well it just works as its own little adventure mm-hmm. I, I I was it was funny like i i felt like i was looking for particular things when watching it and sort of at opposite ends of the spectrum was the the special edition stuff of how much it's changed and then also trying to view it as if i had no idea what any of it was yeah and like that it is amazing how much smaller the kind of universe feels yeah yeah where it's like tatooine and some ships and the death star yeah and that's it like yeah. and and for a moment alderaan um, <laughs> and then not alderaan 
Sorry. They um, acknowledge that there are other planets. Yeah. There's a planet called Dantooine we hear about, <laughs> which is cleverly named. Um, but, like, I mean, do you know how much of, like, the original trilogy they had planned when they made this film? I really don't know. On the on the mm. on the laserdisc that that I watched, they actually had an interview with George Lucas yeah. uh, after the movie, and uh, the well, I would trust his word on this. Well, but go on, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was at least before the prequels came out, so yeah. maybe he was a little more earnest. Yeah. But uh, he claims that he sort of had the the idea for the whole thing, and he wrote one script, mm-hmm. and then he realized that it was far too big, and yeah. he took the the first act and expanded it into a new hope. And he he says like you know we had to retool some things and move this around here. Yeah. But I, I get the feeling that there was the broad strokes in sort of a big script. Yeah. And then he took you know the intro to it, made that a movie, and played with it, and it probably changed more and more yeah. from the original concept. I mean, I could buy it to a degree. I mean, the the main thing I'm wondering is like, did they know that like Vader was Luke's father when they made this movie? I was thinking about that. It seems like they may have known. Like they, there were some hints thrown out there. The maybe. Owen and Baru shit. At the yeah, beginning. yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it seemed there was some very like Harry Potter esque like, <laughs> subterfuge. Yeah, for sure. That's that's a good way to put that. It's Harry Potter. <laughs> well, actually, Harry Potter is Star Wars. Um, so the sort of uh, I have no idea of the truth, but sort of it occurred to me maybe they knew the Vader twist, but they didn't know the Leia twist. Yeah, they definitely did not know the Leia twist. That is not played. Yeah. <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, that's some creeper shit. Um, yeah, uh, that that whole sequence, like at the very end, uh, or right right before the third act, mm-hmm. where like Han and Luke are talking, and like Luke's basically like, "You better back off." Like. <laughs> I called dibs on the princess. <laughs> and you're like, ew. <laughs> I did notice that he and Leo were dressed very similarly, and Han was sort of dressed differently, which I, I think was more coincidence, but it was sort of a funny visual. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even <laughs> think about that, but they do kind of look really, really similar. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely doesn't feel like uh, the prequels were planned, because mm-hmm. like there's definitely stuff in there like like uh, Ben Kenobi doesn't remember R2 when he first sees him. Mm-hmm. Which like Ben Kenobi hung out with R2 like all the fuck time. <laughs> like R2 <laughs> saved his life. You'd, you'd recall that. Yeah, and Obi-Wan seems to remember a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, he doesn't seem senile at all. Like, he's pretty on the ball. Um, and Yoda doesn't even seem senile. Apparently, no. being a Jedi keeps you sharp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that's, I mean, if you want to get into the other movies, like, <laughs> the, the, the retconning of the prequels, like, Yoda very, makes it really clear that he doesn't like using lightsabers. And, like, he says, mm-hmm. like, war does not make one great and all that sort of stuff. And then they turned him into a little flipping <laughs> razor blade guy. <sighs> Bugs me. Bugs me. Um, so just sort of looking down at, at the notes I jotted down, yeah. um, one thing I noted that I liked is, uh, in like the very first shot, you see C-3PO, a character that's like a through line to all six movies more yeah. than anyone else other yeah. than R2-D2. And there's another one that's a slightly different gold tint, like yeah. right behind him. I thought that was kind of like a neat nod. I mean, it wasn't at the time, yeah. but that your central character throughout this entire saga is like disposable. Yeah. <laughs> one of many. <laughs> I like that idea. I mean, the, the first thing I thought was when I first saw like that, crawl like it was just the right length i mean my mm-hmm. the crawl i watched did yours say episode four a new hope it did yeah okay mine just said star wars oh it and was it like the started. original original wow. yeah mine was mine was og didn't um, they supposedly uh wasn't that done like during the theatrical window 
I don't know. Was it? I, I that's how I always heard it. I don't know if it's true. Like during the movie's run, they shipped a new print. That like said it was so successful Hope. that as they expanded the release, they they lopped off the big that that beginning uh, of to the crawl and wow. added on the episode four part. I mean, that's that's pretty damn cool. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but like that that opening crawl, like it establishes stakes. Like it's time. It's a time of civil war. It lets you know who the good and bad guys are. It uses words like sinister to let you know what's up. And I mean, it's playing on that like B movie arc type i mean this movie like is almost like tarantino-y in how reference heavy it is Mm -hmm. like i mean just to do a quick rundown um there's that like there's the fact that the whole movie is the hidden fortress by kurosawa sure um there's the fact that the whole movie is also buck rogers like (laughs) down to like this opening crawl and everything many westerns (laughs) yeah a lot of westerns like luke wears a poncho at one point um (laughs) There's the uh, the the dog fights at the end, which during the rough cut when they were screening this, they straight up spliced in World War II dogfight footage. <laughs> Sounds um, apt. Yeah, and like he, like Lucas said, like he staged those dog fights to look like this footage that he loved. Um, and then there's the fact that the ending trophy sequence is lifted from a Nazi propaganda film. Oh, really? Yeah. I, mean, I didn't know that. Yeah, that, that whole thing. I think it's Triumph of the Will. There's uh, there's like a sequence in Triumph of the Will. that. I mean, uh, please write in. Correct me if I'm wrong, Internet, because um, I know you will. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's straight up Nazi shit. Um, was there some sort of equivalent uh, subhuman that they didn't think got a medal like Chewie? <laughs> Five million alterations to this film over time. Yeah. He still doesn't get a medal, as far as I know. Yeah, no, he does not get a medal. Um, at no point have they brought uh, brought him back to uh, to just throw a medal on the guy. <laughs> or you could just cop a medal in, guys. Come yeah, on. Yeah, really. Like, ugh, we had to get one special made. But no, he's, I mean, he's a Wookiee. He'd probably just try and eat it or something. <laughs> or at least that's what the bigots in the Rebel Alliance are saying. Like, yes, exactly. They have a culture. They invented the bowcaster. Like, if it starts with medals, where will it end? <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know, the Wookiees will be asking to vote. <laughs> They're going to be asking for a place in the, in the new Senate of the New Republic that we're totally going to set up. Uh, I guess we are jumping around quite a bit, but I did love the brevity of that ending. I felt like yep. that was so perfect for a kid's movie. Like, yeah. they won, they get medals, we're out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Peace out, y'all. Y'all don't care about a denouement. Like... Let's get out of here. Like you saw, you we don't we don't even need like an end tease because what we would get now is like a little end scene of like Vader landing his little ship and like then you know what we would get the last shot would be meeting the Emperor if we made it now. Uh, yeah. um, but no, like we saw him fly away. You know he's still alive. Don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> we, we're gonna we'll get to him. It's the cool. one survivor of the Death Star happened yeah. to be. God, you're right. <laughs> he's the only guy. And he's got to answer for that. <laughs> like in between this movie and Empire, like he probably got yelled at a lot. <laughs> Just kicking rocks, explaining to the Emperor. <laughs> yeah, like, can, like how do you say? Like, yeah, it was the only one. It was, dude, it was crazy. We probably shouldn't have, like we probably should have put a grade over that hole. <laughs> <laughs> what what percentage of the army must have been in that station? Uh, well, I think like the the empire, the beginning, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to imply at the beginning of empire that like, it was a really like Pyrrhic victory for the rebel Alliance. And they like, you know, now they're like really on the run because they expended most of their resources, um, beating the death star. Mm -hmm. But the empire had like a whole fleet of star destroyers. Right. Still. And they're called star destroyers. (laughs) So like, I just wonder how many recruits that is like. 
the taxes must be insane on this. Oh, yeah. No, they, they lost a sizable amount of their tax base. Um, <laughs> but it's also said that, like, this... this. Uh, the... I mean, I guess they're clones, so I don't know what I'm thinking about. But Well, I think they stopped being clones at some point and start being, like, guys who are just trying to, you know, pay for college. Um, <laughs> I guess. What, I, I heard this as a rumor. I didn't I didn't bother verifying it. But is it true that in the in the Blu-ray, they, they um, dubbed the voice of Django Fett? Onto some of the stormtroopers. God, I fucking hope not. That's, uh, I'll have to check if that's I true. I really, really hope not. Like, <laughs> I like this movie a lot more if those are just like idiots. Uh huh. Like, those are just dudes. <laughs> also, no one aims and shoots in this universe. <laughs> like, I know there's the cliche about stormtroopers, like, not really shooting, but like, the rebels do it too. Like, Han and Luke, when they're firing at someone, no one, like, like lock your elbow, take a second, and draw a bead on a guy. Instead, like, they're just flopping the gun around like it's a dildo. Like, I mean, maybe it's like the musket era of laser guns. I don't know. So they're not accurate anyway. Yeah, maybe they're just thinking like we... we I mean, I guess in later movies they established that there's like battery packs or something, but maybe they're thinking in terms of like our ammo is essentially unlimited. <laughs> like it's pretty much like prey and spray, right. um, as they say in the military. <laughs> um, it's a blunderbuss. <laughs> yeah, like we'll just fire away. Um, I don't know. It, uh, it, 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 it... It bugged me. It bugged me a whole lot. Well, not really. It it was fine for the adventure. Were the laser rifles as big in the subsequent movies? I don't think so, but they were basically spears, weren't they? <laughs> they were like, when they were holding it sideways, the barrel was above their head. Like, yeah. They looked huge. Yeah. It seemed like a weird way to construct a laser rifle, especially <laughs> considering it didn't seem to be measurably more powerful than the smaller <laughs> ones. Like, why, why are you doing it that way? Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not sure if they're more powerful than the cannons on like the ships, either. <laughs> i don't know i mean it, it seemed laser like, diameter i think we hit like peak laser at some point <laughs> <laughs> i don't know oh also i i uh, uh while we're just talking about things we loved about the movie i uh i really loved that the beginning um where well a couple things first off do you think r2's lines had parentheticals in the script <laughs> maybe there is like loose stage direction like of you know happy yeah i mean i i hope so just so like anthony daniels had something to play against uh-huh. like no he's telling you that like you, you that you're stupid or something <laughs> i don't know um oh, also uh, the no, sh- oh no, no no you you go um I, I was just gonna say one in many new things that sort of looking as a as a real practical adult the idea that anthony daniels was standing out there in tunisia in that yeah, costume dude. like holy shit like there's there's sand in your swimsuit like at the end of a day at the beach can you yeah. imagine <laughs> also you're inside of basically a boiler <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> god oh, that, like, they must have just poured water on him all the time <laughs> like how do you how do you deal with anthony daniels not dying or or what about the tiny man you stuck in a trash can <laughs> <laughs> i'm imagining kind of like filling a flask like they just unscrew a little thing on top of of the yeah. costume and put the funnel on yeah and then just <laughs> And then and then drown him. <laughs> well, you know he's, he's probably like, evaporating it out. This is the only respite I could imagine. <laughs> Just leave me. That uh, yeah, sucks. But yeah, I uh, I really loved the beginning of uh, like the the Owen and Baru's farm thing, where like the droids finally make it there, and the Jawas are trotting them out to be uh, 
to be sold where Luke steps into frame for his heroic shot. And it's clearly like framed up like this is our good guy. Uh-huh. And then is immediately called away by Baru. Like he <laughs> steps up and then turns and walks out of frame. Like, no, you don't get like, it's almost like, uh, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the better shots in the whole thing because it seemed like George Lucas saying to us like, no, he's not ready to be this guy yet. Right. You know? And it was, it was as much as I kind of rag on some of the other camera work in this movie. That was good on you, George. That was, that was nice. <laughs> I did write down that uh, that Luke Skywalker seems like he's about 10 years older than Anakin was in episode one and about two months more mature. Like, <laughs> but I wanted to go to Toshi Station <laughs> to pick up some Pamela. <laughs> it's like his first line. Yeah. Like, the hero of this trilogy. Yeah. I mean, mm. what's so great about fucking power converters? <laughs> like, and the great part of it is like, that sounds like an air, like, if I were to say that to my parents and Toshi Station was a thing and power converters were a thing, <laughs> it feels like he's trying to say to Owen and Baru, like, but I was supposed to go run this errand for you guys. Mm-hmm. Owen just shoots that shit down. <laughs> like, he's like, no, you can go fool around with your friends later. Like, you're not fooling me for a goddamn second. I know they got, I know they got Missile Command in the power converter uh, <laughs> store over at Toshi Station and just trying to rack up a high score. What do you think they're doing over at McDonald's? <laughs> not drinking milkshakes, I assure you. Unless they're blue. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no he's he's a total bitch yeah um until he sees well i mean he, he's a total bitch but he does have like that he's almost like a disney character and then he's like looking off into the distance and like you're expecting him to kind of break out into song and just like <laughs> sing like part of that world he's ariel he's totally ariel <laughs> uh, that just huh. occurred to me <laughs> trying to find a princess to save him and yeah yeah <laughs> Like, it's not just me, right? Like, at the beginning of this movie, he's totally Ariel from The Little Mermaid. I mean, I don't remember The Little Mermaid clearly enough to really judge. Yeah, but, But, I mean, he definitely looks like he's yearning. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I guess he's more (laughs) Fievel, if you want to put it that way. Um, There are are no cats on Alderaan, and the streets are paved with cheese. Um, But, yeah, he, he seems to pretty quickly, like, get his shit together. Um, and mm-hmm. realize, oh, wait, like, because he wants to transmit his application to the Academy, which, by the way, mm-hmm. is that the Imperial Academy? <laughs> That's a good question. That yeah. never occurred to me. I think it might be. <laughs> I think Luke might want to be a stormtrooper. <laughs> yeah, like, I never thought about that before. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a rebel academy. Yeah. Of course, he does say later, like, that the that the Empire sucks. Like, when he's talking to... Obi-Wan or somebody. Mm -hmm. I I feel like there's a line later where he says, like, the Empire never did anything for me or something like that. And when he finds out that R2 knows about the rebellion, like, he gets excited. Mm -hmm. Like, so maybe he's just a fucking thrill jockey. Maybe he's like Snowden. He's trying to get in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tear this machine down from the inside. Yeah, I mean, that's not going to work for you, Luke. Like, like, clearly, like, the Empire doesn't care who knows what they're doing. Right. He's not going to be useful for another movie or two. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, he did okay in this one. Like he, yeah. he swung from a thing, and he blew up the Death Star. That was pretty cool. Aren't there arguments like to this day over whether that was a stunt guy or him? Really? I thought I thought at some point a few years ago, like he he talked about how he made that jump, and then Some someone else guy. came out. I was like, uh, no, you didn't. Yeah, you know what? He's he's the Joker. He can, Mark <laughs> that, Hamill can say whatever he wants. That wasn't Natalie Portman dancing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, same kind of thing. 
Um, tying it back to the prequels. There we go. <laughs> um, I wrote down that I like that uh, C-3PO is pretty judgmental about the Jawas, and then as soon as he tries to go into the bar, they make him wait outside. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah, I didn't notice that, but you're right. He's He definitely has like a racist moment where like, they're filthy creatures. <laughs> like, they engage in commerce, and they built a sand crawler. Like, they're a civilization, guys. Like... You're allowed to talk that way about, well, not even in this universe about something that doesn't wear pants. Because, like, you just, you know what? Keep it all to yourself, everybody, in the yeah. Star Wars universe. Like, you, even if you, like, don't like the look of that fern over there, that fern might have hyperdrive. Uh-huh. Like, you just don't know. Like, look at some of the shit in the cantina. Which, by the way, did you notice that in the cantina, like, there's there's definitely a point where they just ran out of ideas for aliens. There's mm-hmm. two werewolves. Really? <laughs> Two completely different looking, but they're both just like, yeah, that's a wolf, man. Like, there's a bat guy. Um, there's a guy with a baboon butt for a chin. He's kind of imaginative. Him, like, there's some that are like, yeah. And then there's the one that's like, no, this is just the devil. Like, <laughs> I did notice the devil. <laughs> yeah. He's just the devil. Yeah. Like, there's nothing else to him. Like, he's even grinning like, hey, guys, I'm totally the devil. Like, uh, yes. Like, you know, you're allowed to phone it in on alien number like nine. I guess that's fine. I mean, I guess as far as scum and villainy goes, he'd be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 true. Um, but yeah, the I guess to, to to get back to like the the overall structure of the film, mm-hmm. one of the big things that stuck out for me was how long the first act was, or at least what I felt the first act to be was. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, because um, I mean, I I considered the break into the second act to be when the Millennium Falcon took off. Or you could call it when Owen and Baru die. Mm-hmm. And, like, now we're ready. Like, because now, like, Luke is trying to get off of Tatooine to, like, go on his quest. Um, but, like, Owen and Baru die, like, 45 minutes into this two-hour movie. Yeah, the uh, the Laserdisc flip happened. I was like, Jesus. Oh, not, really? Not a whole lot has happened. Because it, they... it was actually on three sides. Oh, really? I didn't realize. But it was definitely, like... I can't remember if it was before the cantina, but it was definitely in that area. Wow. Where I was like, oh, wow, there's a break already. <laughs> yeah. Well, it reminds me, like, last night I watched, uh, I, you know, uh, got too sleepy to finish it, but uh, late last night I was watching The Exorcist, mm-hmm. and I turned it off an hour in, and, like, she had just started getting possessed in The Exorcist. <laughs> like, I think I turned it off right after the, the fuck me, fuck me, fuck me scene. <laughs> um, and, like, that's the first hint that, like, something really bad is happening. Like, movies used to just take a little bit more time to establish stakes. Yeah. And I loved that. Like, you know, because by the time Luke, like, said, like, I'm going to go with you, like, I totally bought it. Because by the time he says to Kenobi, like, let's fucking book it to Alderaan, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Like, You've seen all this stuff about uh, all this stuff with the droids. So, like, we've built our universe basically through their eyes. You've um, seen, you know, that Luke really wants to get out of this damn farm town. Um, you've seen uh, that uh, you've seen him turn him down, which is really important because before he sees Owen and Baru all, all desiccated, mm-hmm. um, he like Kenobi's like, you can come with me, and he's like, nah, man, I'm I'm straight. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and then like he finds their dead bodies, which did you notice that he just left Kenobi and the droids to like burn all these Jawas <laughs> and then came back and they built a funeral pyre in his absence? Like, I did notice that he has a hover car and not a cell phone. <laughs> I can't really fault them, but still. Yeah, that's a little weird, but whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, like he, he, the decision feels earned when he gets to it, especially like they, 
you know, Mark Hamill acts the shit out of the scene when he finds Owen and Baru. Like, he has this really cliched, like, clearly George Lucas told him to do it move of, like, <laughs> look off to the side and then look back up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, the look in his eyes, like, he looks like he's ready to get revenge. Mm-hmm. Like, where he's like, you know what? Like, I'm not going to stick here because, like, you know, it's what you wanted. I'm going to leave because it's what I wanted. But now I'm going to, like, it's not that, like, they gave him an excuse by getting blown up. Um, but, like, it feels like he's leaving because he's seen how evil the Empire is. And mm-hmm. he's like, I'm going to go help tear this thing down. Um, I mean, did you feel that moment? Like, did, did, did that feel earned to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it, it, given the setup for that character and everything, it certainly felt a lot more legitimate than like, okay, I'll go with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it, it definitely, giving him some trauma was probably a good move for the overall plot structure of where yeah. he has to go and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad they took their time with it. Um, yeah. I mean, a sort of uh, Alien is my standard example of a movie that you couldn't make today. Like, if you, yeah. if you watch it, you don't see the Alien past the hour mark. Yeah, that's true. Like, even, like, when does the chestburster scene happen? I think that might be around the hour or a little bit after. Yeah. The movie's like, what, two hours and 15 minutes or so? That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. Like, that's the thing that strikes me about Alien. Um, or like, when I rewatched it as an adult, and now I watch it every few months, it's mm-hmm. so damn good. Yeah. Is, uh, like, the movie starts out kind of being, like, it's not about, oh, God, there's, there's this huge monster chasing us until it weighs into the movie. Like, the mm-hmm. movie is largely about them underestimating the threat i mean and sort of as you were explaining about star wars like there's there's so much universe building yeah where like it's it's not like you have to watch them mine and then work <laughs> the machinery but you do Thank get god a, you get a good idea of who these people are and what their day-to-day is like yeah. sort of so that you're not scrambling to figure out the world at the same time yeah. as they're being pursued and you're dealing with that. And just like in Star Wars, it feels really lived in, their mm-hmm. world. Like, I love that in Alien, the, the, like, the first scene we really get in the ensemble is them just like eating breakfast and being like, wow, like, we slept for months. We're all really hungry. Mm-hmm. And they're just like bullshitting and talking about like they want you know, their shares and what they're going to spend it on. Like, these just feel like dudes. Like, even though it's the far future in Alien, um, and I don't want to get too far in Alien because that's a whole other movie <laughs> that like, I could talk about for days. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I feel like if I met, like, Burke from Alien, mm-hmm. he and I would have something to talk about, even though he his life is completely different from mine. Mm-hmm. Like, he's flying around in space and mining, and I'm, like, you know, a little indie filmmaker in Los Angeles. <laughs> but, like, I feel like we could relate to each other on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've probably both had bosses we didn't like. We've probably <laughs> both had bosses we did like. Feels um, fleshed out. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And same thing with Han Solo. Like, I feel like if I met Han Solo... Like, and I sat down with a beer with the guy, like he could probably tell me some stories and I could tell him some stories and we could make each other laugh, Mm -hmm. you know, um, same thing with Luke and Obi-Wan Kenobi, like all of these people feel very relatable to me. And you know, that, that really the breakout character for me this time around, I keep coming back to Han Solo, but for me, the one that like, I felt like I had underestimated on previous viewings was Princess Leia. How did you feel about her character coming off the screen? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought she was definitely a strong presence in the movie. Yeah. It definitely, uh, I mean, I guess she was kind of in peril and saved, but still a, probably a big change for yeah. for women in movies in the 70s, I but imagine. She, but she did it. Like, the first thing she does when she meets them, other than saying, like, aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper? <laughs> well, I mean, even that. Yeah. Like, making fun of them. <laughs> yeah. First thing. And then, like, they get stuck in the, in, the, uh, in the hallway, and, like, the very first active thing she does is save everybody. Yeah. Like, she grabs a blaster, blows a hole in a wall, and says, everybody jump in. Mm-hmm. Like, she, she says, I'm going to be in charge. And, like, it was really refreshing and cool. 
it is sort of a badass way to to sneak it in there that like she is a princess she has been captured yeah but also there's a little bit of sarah connor in there like yeah. once you free her yeah and you know the like the original version of this movie back when it was the star wars and uh and han solo was a lizard man um <laughs> was about uh luke star killer being captured Prince Luke Starkiller being captured and the princess going and finding Han Solo and like rescuing him. Oh, interesting. Like, yeah, the whole thing was inverted before. Huh. Um, and yeah, then they, you know, uh, flipped the script a little bit, I guess, as they had to like scale it down because the original script was insanity. Um, mm-hmm. There's actually, I haven't read it, but Dark Horse Comics just, uh, I think, I don't know if it's happening still or it's about to happen or it just happened, but there are plans to put out a. Um, comic based on the original concept of star wars when it was Hmm. the star wars oh interesting a a comic called the star wars and it's gonna have like lizard man han solo and all that shit in it is it something you heard about recently uh i heard about it probably like six eight months ago so i'm sure it's out by now Uh, okay Um, just because i know uh, marvel sort of has the star wars property now (laughs) yeah they're gonna i think I, i don't know when the transition happens over to marvel but i know dark horse like gets to keep putting out books for a little bit oh really um you know it's interesting you say that going back to like the first encounter we have with star wars like it it was always in my life but the first time i remember really understanding like the plot of the movie star wars was when someone gave me a collected edition of the marvel comics comic book adaptation and i read it over and over and over and it went into i remember certain things about like that being better like the whole uh scene where luke and han are fending off the tie fighters as they escape the death star mm-hmm. like that sequence works way better in a comic because you can have the little narration like one last tie fighter comes around for a pass and, <laughs> like and like when you watch it like it it kind of looks a little chaotic and like like there's not they're not really a f- very effectively telling a story mm-hmm. unlike on the death star trench run when I was right. fucking captivated. <laughs> like, what, what did you think of that sequence? I mean, all those swoops, I feel like, are the real sort of marvel of that whole mm-hmm. thing that you... I, I guess going, uh, continuing on of, like, seeing the huge ships and the scale and yeah. filming with models, sort of the idea that you start far enough out from this thing that it's a little dot, and you end up so close that this texture is all like turrets and everything and you can swoop into the crevices between it like it's it's just a sense of scale that i'm sure is kind of unprecedented or was at the time yeah you know how they did that those those like swooping scenes was it the ping pong table stuff yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. where they for those of you who don't know they they bought a bunch of battleship and uh like spaceship models at just a model (laughs) shop and then broke them apart and glued all the parts to a ping pong table and then they went out into a parking lot and they got the dolly out. They threw the camera on the dolly and just ran by it and then had squibs go off as they went. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, it occurred to me while I was watching this movie, I bet those like little fiery uh, laser squibs hurt like a bitch. Yeah, one would think. Like, I mean, there's there was no sort of shortage of exploding cloth and, yeah, and blood bits and stuff. Yeah, like it's one thing to have like regular blood squibs, like those, like you can put some padding on those and they don't feel too bad. But like these had fire. <laughs> And like smoke, like they were a little like they were. These people strapped flashbangs to themselves. <laughs> like people had second degree burns on the set of Star Wars. I guarantee it. <laughs> Ugh, that that's gotta hurt a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, that sequence, uh, like the the way it's edited together and tells this story of like we're all approaching. Now the X wings are gonna provide cover while the Y wings go in. Now all the Y wings got blown up. 
Okay, we got to come up with a new plan. All right, this veteran who we've seen from the beginning, like leading this squad, is going to go in and he's going to try to blow up the thing and he misses. And now we're seeing Luke go in because he's like the dude that's left, mm-hmm. he and Wedge. <laughs> um, and now we see like him turn off his targeting computer and Han comes back and he uses the force. Like it's just, I'd go so far as to maybe even call it masterful. Like mm-hmm. editorially, it's just amazing. Um, it is quite a crescendo, and as we mentioned with the quick out, yeah, is this definitely how to sort of whiz bang your audience? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I love that the last thing we see before the explosion is just Grand Moff Tarkin just standing there, like just assured <laughs> of his victory. Like, yeah, we're gonna wipe this shit out, and then boom, that is that. I guess something I wrote down from the last act is a uh, why does Darth Vader have to see Obi Wan alone? Like, is it because of their awkward last meeting when he <laughs> cut off his legs and stuff? Like, yeah, it got a little weird. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. Uh, I think it's just like kind of an honor thing. Mm-hmm. Because like we definitely feel throughout this movie that Vader is a little bit separate from everything else. Mm-hmm. Like he, uh, oh, that's something I wanted to uh, bring up was in that first scene where we see Vader meeting with like his military advisors. One of them even drops the word "the hidden fortress." Like, oh, really? Yeah, on the line when that. when he says uh, uh, the the guy who gets choked by Vader. Um, when he says, like, your religion's not going to help us find their hidden fort. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh God, funny. you're just admitting it. <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah, guys, George knew. George totally knew. <laughs> Did you hear? Um, I think it was Leia was in a cell block 1138. Yes. Yeah, I had never caught that before. Yeah, that, that, made me, that made me pretty happy. And all of that possibly improvised stuff with Han Solo on the console, like, we're fine here. Everything's fine. <laughs> How are you? Like, you're just, I'm, I was just having a great time. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. You know, it was just a fucking blast. But, uh, but yeah, you get the feeling like Vader kind of is repping for the Emperor, but he also is... It's kind of unclear, like, he seems to be kind of in charge, but, like, how in charge is he? You know, right. like, is he sort of separate from everything else? Because he's also, like, this kind of weirdo mystic. And everybody <laughs> kind of thinks of him as, like, the weird guy. Like, you don't get a feeling that, like, they want to hang out with him after work or anything. <laughs> um, and he's just kind of off doing his own thing. Well, it only takes one underling to walk in on that pod yeah. where it puts his helmet on. He's like, Ugh. you guys don't want to hang out with him. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, no, it gets weird. It gets weird in there. Uh, it is freaky cyborg pod um but no i i mean i i actually remember uh i i liked the obi-wan vader fight better than i remembered it being Mm -hmm. you know yeah i i thought it was um it was nicely handled and dramatic one thing that occurred to me is like newer generations if they watch the movies chronologically when their last fight was like 25 minutes yeah you know jumping on lava uh, between lava pools and stuff yeah it's like I mean, underwhelming isn't the correct word to use, but <laughs> I mean, I'll, I, that that fight, all the prequel fights are definitely visually way more interesting. Mm-hmm. I still like this one better. Yeah, yeah. I just I thought that was it's going to be such a funny transition. Yeah, like, trying to present weird. it to people as a whole. Yeah, it's going to feel weird. I mean, even like the fight, the lightsaber fights by Jedi get way better than they are here. Like, because physically, yeah, this isn't a great fight. It was mm-hmm. a better one than I remembered it being. What I remembered was these two stiff old guys kind of like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> kind of like, you know, it's, it's, you know, like watching a 55 year old man like try to wrestle or something. It's just <laughs> so you, you, you think Vader was letting him win a little bit just to keep it interesting? I don't know. I don't think he was toying with him. I mean, they seem pretty <laughs> evenly matched. Um, 
But, you know, I was willing to just accept in that moment, like, this is just what lightsaber fights look like. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it had drama to it. Yeah. It was telling me a story. I mean, I guess they're both masterful enough where you could try and make up a thing of, like, they, they know. Like, I'm not going to get in, oh, I'm going to swipe in the side and get him. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, let's just calm down. <laughs> <laughs> let's just calm down. Yeah, it's the mental game. <laughs> Neither of us needs to sweat over this. We know it'll work out the same way. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, there's in the first issue or the second issue of uh, JLA Avengers, which came out when I was like in high school. Is the big like three issue crossover between the Justice League and the Avengers, mm-hmm. DC and Marvel putting it out. It was awesome. But there's a scene where all they're all fighting because they had to fight before they team up. Sure. And uh, Captain America and Batman like land on a <laughs> roof and they like fight a little bit and like the narrative is something like there's a faint and a little bit and like they're like barely making contact with each other and like testing each other and then they stop back and batman goes there's a chance you could beat me avenger (laughs) but it would take you a very long time (laughs) instead lets you and i go figure out what's really happening and then those two go and team up and they're like the first ones that are like yeah something else is up here but like i love that their fight is described as them barely touching each other (laughs) and just like figuring and like testing and being like okay I know, I know how good you are. In the comics, is Captain America like scientisty? Um, no, he's like a really good tactician, though. Like, like Captain America in the comics could like fly a fighter plane, uh-huh. and he could in like the Ultimate comics, he could like hack into the Chinese defense network and stuff. Um, it's something that I think I've brought up to you before that bugs me about the Avengers is like they don't build up Captain America's mind quite as much as they'd like, I'd like them to. Because mm-hmm. at the end, like he's telling everybody what to do. And I'm sitting here going, like, you're not the smartest guy here. Like, right. Why are you making these calls? Um, <laughs> How do you know what any of this is? <laughs> yeah. like, But in the books, they uh, definitely play him as way more experienced and savvy. Mm-hmm. And like they talk a whole lot about like the respect that he commands when he walks into a room. And they kind of have to build that up with a guy like Captain America. So like you've always got like some novice Avenger being like, yeah, man, I was in a room with a guy and Tony Stark and like these people from space and then like this soldier walks in and everybody stands up straighter <laughs> and like you buy it you know because uh-huh. like you gotta you know sure <laughs> um, just like you gotta buy that like Obi-Wan's his amazing master Jedi and so is Darth Vader even though yeah they look a little clumsy but like <laughs> Fuck it. Like, just just suspend your disbelief for a second. Sure. Like, I mean, I, it's not hard for me to do. Like, I watch old Doctor Who, so I'm pretty used to doing that. Um, also, watching Obi-Wan turn off the, the generator thing. Who designed this fucking thing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you, just ex- you just left that exposed, didn't you? Like, you did not give a shit. And le- but clearly, it's built so you can adjust it. Yeah. It's just unnecessarily like on the other side of the column. Like, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Like, like we want you to be able to customize your output of your tractor beam, but we kind of want to make it really hard. <laughs> got to commit. Yeah, yeah. You got you got to really want it. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like uh, it, it, it definitely. The overall impression I walked away with with the movie was uh, like just definitely a quantum leap forward in terms of like the quality of effects and stuff mm-hmm. you know it's 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 something that no one had ever seen at that point um but it feels really just nicely self-contained yeah like i was done and i was like yep that sure was a fun adventure um <laughs> adventure is the perfect word yeah it's 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 rollicking <laughs> um you know whiz bang crazy stuff coming at me the whole time and the right amount of stuff it never feels overstuffed like it's it's really really well written mm-hmm. um yeah i just i just loved it 
you yeah. know? I mean, it's fucking Star Wars. Of course I did. <laughs> um, but I, I, rem- like, I liked it for what it was in a way that I didn't think I would. Like, I found it easier than I thought I would to divorce it from, like, the prequel baggage. And even the sequel baggage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's self-contained. It was a little less derivative than I felt it would come off, considering, you know, how many movies have cribbed all that stuff since then. Yeah. Like, it, it still was a fun watch, and it wasn't every two seconds you thinking about how that's been done a million times since. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um yeah, it uh, it, it's it's a little bit sacrosanct. I mean, you don't tug Superman's cape, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it goes without saying. Like, I don't even feel like we need to talk about whether or not you should rewatch Star Wars, guys. It's fucking Star Wars. <laughs> like, if you're not the kind of person who rewatches Star Wars, like you're not. Now, what I will say is, if you're the kind of person who doesn't think you'd like Star Wars, don't be scared. <laughs> Just find the original cuts. It's not that hard. Yeah. Um the DVD release has the originals on it, doesn't it? Um they released them on DVD at one point in the I mean, most like insulting bones, way they could they're come like up with. and shitty, right? It was a re-release of the special editions mm-hmm. with them bundled on as special features, non-anamorphic. <laughs> they're non-anam Oh, really? Yeah. I'm pretty sure they were the laser disc transfers. Like oh, they really? just they literally didn't do anything to them. Are they at least so they're not even like 23 by 5 or what? Uh, I mean, I think that like, like it's widescreen, but yeah. the the image itself is four by three with black bars. Oh, really? So it's a non-anamorphic, lower quality image. Oh, yep. That sucks. And just just making it a special feature and not the primary release. Like, I mean, yeah. I know it, it doesn't make an actual difference, but it just really felt like a, a fuck you oh, no, to the people who wanted it. It's definitely a just shut the fuck up here. <laughs> like, but still watch it. I think. One of the things that I, I think people who are who are new to Star Wars will have a better time watching the original cuts than the special editions because mm-hmm. the special editions, especially now, like he keeps going back and like jam packing them full of shit that references the prequels. Mm-hmm. And like, if you just watch this one, it's just a nice self-contained little space adventure. And the pacing is pretty tight without like that that Java scene and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't miss that Java scene. I tell you what. <laughs> Stupid, stupid Java shit and Java scene. Yeah. So I wrote down just the, a few little last yeah. points I got. Uh, Leia sounded like she had a British accent through yes! part of it. Yeah, she did. <laughs> but only when she's talking to bad guys. You think she thinks it's intimidating? I guess. Like, so I thought that was something. Yeah. Um, Han Solo seems like an atheist, which I never really thought about before. Oh, yeah, I know. He totally seems is. Very dismissive of the force. But then he converts at the end. Yeah. And Chewie's giving him shit. Dude, Star Wars (laughs) is a faith-based initiative. (laughs) Um, C-3PO, overall, kind of shitty. Like, he lives throughout the entire saga, and yet, as soon as anything happens, he's like, I'm done for, leave me! Yeah, no, he's he's, he's pretty irritating. Um, Luke screams, I've lost R2, and he doesn't even say anything or react. (laughs) Like, he hears it over the comm link. All right. (laughs) Yeah, no, C-3PO is kind of a selfish shithead. (laughs) And uh, I didn't remember that Han asks Luke to come with him. Like, yeah. you know, he's trying to convince him to leave. And I was like, oh, Han Solo is Captain Mal? Like, I'd watch oh, that. He's totally Captain Well, yeah, I mean, like... <laughs> Ragtag have you li- group. <laughs> yeah, have you listened to, like, the interviews with Joss Whedon about how he came up with Firefly? No, I mean, it, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me. <laughs> he basically says he was reading books about, like, the post-Civil War South. 
and uh-huh. like reconstruction and everything and was like you know it got me to thinking about what it's like to be on the losing side of a war after the war mm-hmm. and like how you reconcile your values because the way like i mean even the rebels in this movie like they had to pour themselves into this cause and they had to really believe that what they were doing was right like what if the empire just stomped them out like the empire wouldn't kill them to the last man there would be ex-rebels like in this universe that just have to deal with the stigma and uh according to joss whedon he said and that made me start thinking about the millennium falcon because most things make me start thinking about the millennium (laughs) falcon um yeah so uh firefly is totally just millennium falcon plus civil war yeah, so yeah. that I, I just didn't remember that line at all that he he told Luke that he should come with him. Yeah, like, and it's oh. and it's interesting because that's like an it, it, it's an intermediate point in his growth as a character, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like because he we see like oh look he's learning to care, not enough, <laughs> right? But he's learning to care about people who aren't him. Like he's he, willing to open the door to his house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which will then fly away. There's something a little <laughs> bit Doctor Who about that. Like, the doctor would have stuck around. But, like, if, you know, he's like a dickhead doctor, he's like, hey, you could totally just get on my tar- TARDIS and we could leave. Like, Was that a spinoff? The, dick- <laughs> the dickhead doctor? I mean, at some point, there's probably been a doctor who just, like, bounced on some people. Like, like it's some, well, I don't know. Maybe not. Um, I don't want to go down the Doctor Who route right now because I just keep going for hours and hours. Um, but yeah, like it's a great moment because you understand that like Lucas in 1977 at least understood that like someone's character arc needed to have more than two points to it. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, I really liked her. I didn't get the feeling that Princess Leia changed at all in this movie. Like she has basically no arc. Yeah, I mean, like things are revealed about her. I mean, she was introduced fairly late. Like, it didn't seem like it was about her as much, I, I feel. Yeah, that's true. She definitely isn't introduced. Like, I mean, she's in, like, the first scene, but then she disappears until, like, minute 40. I think we cut away from Tatooine, like, way late in the game to see, like, her watch Alderaan get blown up and have a British accent. Right. And uh, then uh, we cut away, and then the next time we see her, she's, uh, like, uh, in the inner cell, basically. Yeah. So, like, she's not really, like, she doesn't meet our main characters until, like, an hour and 15 minutes into the movie. So she's a MacGuffin with a British accent? She's totally a MacGuffin with a British <laughs> accent. Yeah. Her and those plans, which is very Hitchcock, by the way. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's some plans that some people need, <laughs> and they're secreted away somewhere. I know the the gist is that, you know, you're just seeing the first layer of plans or whatever, but I do like that really rudimentary sphere. Yeah. This is the first thing you see. It's like, oh, thank God you stole those. <laughs> That's what we're dealing with. Oh, wow. Those those Bothans feel really good about giving their lives for this information, don't they? Yep. Um, that, was the, that was the second Death Star the Bothans died for, ah. which is just like, I love that the whole... Like the whole saga of the first movie in the third movie when there's another Death Star and they got to do all of this again. One line. (laughs) Many Bothans died getting this information. You know, and that brings up a point, actually. Mm -hmm. Why is it many Bothans? Like it's smuggling information. Like you make it sound like 40 or 50 Bothans. Like, were they like, was it like a football and they were lateraling as they got shot or? It was like a relay race. Yeah. Where they had to knife the previous guy. Uh, clean up loose ends i mean maybe that's something about their society maybe bothans are just sort of a disposable people (laughs) (laughs) maybe bothan is another word for jawa i don't know anyway uh uh, that's about all i had yeah no it's great everybody go watch star wars like totally holds up watch the original cuts if you can totally holds up i mean what do you think 
Oh yeah, totally. I mean, you know, if if you've never seen it and you're curious, it won't yeah. kill you to watch the newer cuts. But it's it's worth putting forth the effort if you can. Yeah. So uh, I guess uh, what's your impression of the movie? Uh, you know, given that like we kind of try to approach these things with fresh eyes and mm-hmm. and everything. Like, what was your impression of just the movie freed from its context? Um. So sort of freed of the Star Wars universe. Yeah. I mean, we sort of covered a lot of. It really is sort of a nice self-contained adventure, and it it doesn't imply a lot of the stuff that you feel like it does from knowing all about this universe and yeah. sort of how big the Empire and the Rebel Alliance are and yeah. all these extra planets and Yoda. and Like, it's, it's interesting how little it gives you, yeah. I guess, yeah. compared to how enormous the franchise seems. Yeah, no, that's true. That's so true. So I guess it is a humble beginnings sort of thing is is what I took away from it, uh, especially seeing the original cuts without yeah. you know, extra stuff jammed in there. Yeah, I liked it better than I than I used to. I used to think it was just kind of an okay movie, but like I had a great time. I still think that George Lucas is not great at placing the camera, but mm-hmm. I thought... <laughs> Um, in like the production design was fantastic. Like, there's that one scene where like three PO's walking through the Dune Sea and he sees the Sandcrawler, and there's just a giant dragon skeleton <laughs> behind him, never referenced. Like, that's the most expensive piece of set dressing I've ever fucking seen. Maybe that was just lying around Tunisia. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they just have those. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been to Tunisia. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I I guess I would say the sort of the warmth feels a lot more present. And um, I, I think it was before the mics were on, we talked a little bit about just, it feels like there's a far more real relationship between any of these characters. Yeah. Like sort of even just having the little awkward incestuous love triangle, like it, yeah. it feels like more human interaction than we have in any of the, of the prequels really. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that was another takeaway is sort of, there's some stiff acting and this and that, but it feels a lot more like real characters. Yeah, it feels like people. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, all right, yeah, so that's Star Wars. Watch it again. Uh, what are we watching next week? Um, did you want to try for her? Uh, yeah, we can do that. I, uh, I saw her in theaters recently. So did you. Yeah. It's great. Um, we're going to go watch it again mm-hmm. and uh, see what else we get out of it. I might watch like another Spike Jones movie first and then go watch <laughs> it because um, I've, I've had the Blu-ray of Where the Wild Things Are sitting around for a long time. Oh. Um, Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Like it a lot. It's kind of a French New Wave movie with weird monsters <laughs> um, and then, you know, kind of nothing happens in it. Yeah, it is a lot more to digest than you would imagine. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, I would not recommend it for children. <laughs> uh, um, yes. Yeah. Do not be fooled, everybody. <laughs> Where the wild things are. I mean, like, your kids aren't going to be traumatized by it, but they're not going to like it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I might w- I might watch Where the Wild Things Are again and then go see her <laughs> um, and then see where that gets us. Sounds like a plan. Cool. All right. Uh, that's it, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. All right. Thanks, guys.